Welcome to another edition of the Tom Green Podcast. This one is a duo show because I think to myself, if I have if I bring a Rutgers guy on the show, I don't want to humiliate him or humiliate anyone from that university. I feel bad for Piscataway, New Jersey, actually, because they have to watch that type of football, but they're known to be the birthplace of college football. With that being said, before we introduce our guests, we have an ad to get through for our 3PS Maggers. Monkey Knife Fights, the prop betting site that has caused me a lot of pain because I have been 0 for 10 in prop bets. It is not fun being 0 for 10 on prop bets, but... If you want to do better than me, or if you want to try to do better than me, you probably can. Deposit to monkeyknifefight.com today. Put in the code 3PSMAG. Get your money back for how much you deposit. And try some prop bets over under rapid fire. Try to do better than me. Monkeyknifefight.com. Code 3PSMAG. With that being said, we got a guy that's probably done a little bit better than Nelson Aguilar did on the field last week. Despite his two touchdowns, he's probably got a good set of mitts on him to catch the ball. He is from the Rock Chalk Podcast. His name is Andy Mitts. He is a returning guest to the show. Welcome back to the show, Andy. Good to be back, and I'm a, a huge fan of the bad puns. <laughs> of course. Hopefully, hopefully you have been... Just like the Philadelphia firefighter, which Aguilar is letting have tickets to the next home game, you you can catch it, unlike Aguilar. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the highlight so far of week of this week going into football. With that being said, you are from Kansas. You're part of the Rock Chalk Podcast. We talked off air that you might get banned because you don't like Seinfeld, but we got a scandal. On, on our hands with Kansas. Basketball is is being under fire by the NCAA. Tell us about it. Well, so this really is a case of the NCAA, and actually I think Bill Self said it best, is that they had, or they were essentially made fools of during the FBI trial uh, of, of the Adidas executives, and they decided they were going to use all of the information were there to go after the biggest target that they could to try to wrest back control and show that they actually had some teeth. And of course, there's no bigger program when it comes to Adidas than Kansas. Um, so what they did is they took every single, you know, every single thing that they could take from the TJ Gasnola testimony specifically that would hurt Kansas, wrap it all up into an indictment, throw in a sprinkle of everything that Kansas has ever been accused for, of all the way back to 1957. Uh, and roll it all up into this big 20-page document to try to make it look as bad as possible for the Jayhawks as they can. Um, what we are finding is they're cherry-picking the details. And, you know, it's one of those things where they want to they want to uh, brand T.J. Gasignola, an, an Adidas employee, as a booster of the Jayhawks, which by the very broad definition, he probably could be considered that. But the main problem I have with this is if they're going to label him – as a Kansas booster, they have to label every employee of a shoe company that has any interaction with any school as a booster as well for that particular school. That means Nike, Under Armour, every other shoe company. They're going to have to do the exact same thing, which means that pretty much anything that happens related to basketball camps that the shoe companies are putting on, anything related to any of that, falls under this. And they're going to be dealing with these types of quote-unquote scandals for the next 20 years. Um, 
So what what I see happening here is they want to make a big statement. They want to draw this out for a little while, make Kansas kind of come, come to bat. Ultimately, I'm not sure how this goes when they finally decide to get together and come to some sort of resolution. And because of that, I have absolutely no idea what the resolution is going to be. But I would be very surprised to see Bill Self get a substantial you know, ban or suspension. I would I would be very surprised if there's a postseason ban attached to this. Now, granted, if something else comes out or Kansas is just ineffective with how they respond to this, you know, it could go very bad for Kansas. But the way that this fight is setting up, it sounds like Kansas is preparing to essentially say, if you're going to hammer us, we're going to take you to federal court and get the entire enforcement arm of the NCAA invalidated for being very – the words that, I, that, I, that come to mind is capricious and arbitrary. Um, you know, Because of the picture that was painted during the trial and their reliance on the trial transcripts, they are essentially, you know, they are essentially saying that if this happened to Kansas – and you're taking that information at face value, it's happening everywhere. And if they're only going to punish particular schools for it, that calls into question the ability and the fairness of how they're going to enforce this. And and so, again, I have no idea where this actually ends up because there's a lot of stuff that can happen in the meantime, but I don't expect any of this to be resolved anytime soon. Um, Kansas might answer this pretty quickly. We might get into the appeals process a whole lot quicker than we would normally see just because Kansas wants to show you know, that strength going along with it. But ultimately, I think this is going to be tied up for at least a year. Um, you know, And so this is going to be something that's going to be on the back burner. It's going to hurt Kansas from recruiting, but it's not something that we're really going to know what's going on for a long time. Gotcha. And as, as far as my standpoint, um, you know how I felt about Kansas basketball from the other podcasts. It's like time for somebody else to dominate the Big Twelve, please. And we uh, saw that. No, I don't. I don't think we need that, really. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw at least a regular season title go away from Kansas's hands. We saw the tournament go to Kansas, but but at least when I I, I at least said thank God, and I pretty much threw a threw a self party when Kansas State won the Big 12 in the regular season. So it was Kansas State and Texas Tech that tied for it. But I thought what was really interesting was all of the roster you know, issues that had to happen for them last year. Without having DeSouza, you know, with, with Azubuke getting injured, like with just all the issues that they had, they had multiple injuries. Uh, Mark, Marcus Garrett had a high ankle sprain when he was really coming on. So, like, they had all kinds of issues with their roster, and they were still in it up to the final week of the Big 12 season. And so, you know, if Kansas didn't have those issues, very, they very well may have run away with it again, and we would still be talking about the streak. Um, that being said, the Big 12 yeah. has, always has been, at least for the last 10 years or so, a very competitive conference. The fact that Kansas has won it so many years in a row up till last year was really saying something. And I think finally, now that someone has won, it's going to be good for the conference because people will finally start recognizing what some of the other teams in that conference have done. But this is a, another strong Kansas team. Um, you know, it may be more competitive in the next few years as Kansas is dealing with recruiting issues. But as long as Bill Self stays at Kansas, like, you know, it's going to be their conference to win every year. Not saying that they're going to win it every year, but they will definitely be one of the top one or two teams, and everyone will be wondering who is going to try to beat Kansas out for it. Yeah, and that was – that was actually why I wanted Kansas to lose so badly, not because F Kansas, it's because look at the rest of that Big 12 and what they have to deal with to win these titles. And if someone else won the title, then people would actually notice and appreciate 
Kansas's streak. So believe it or not, it wasn't F Kansas. It was look at what they have to go through. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're right in that even in the years where Kansas was sharing the title with other with, with other teams, all anyone wanted to talk about was the Kansas streak. So the longer it went on, the harder it was going to be for any team that even, you know, that even tied with them to get the due that they deserved for finishing at the top of a very, very competitive league. Yes. So, with that being said, um, we'll focus on KU football for just a little bit. And you wanted to talk about it. Les Miles, he can't eat turf, but he can actually win games at Kansas. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny because Les Miles, I think, was the topic that actually got me on your podcast to start with. Um, and so it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of come back and talk about yeah. it now that he's actually coached for the Jayhawks. And, you know, I think, honestly, we're ahead of schedule from what I expected. You know, the huge turnaround that they needed to have uh, and that Les Miles was going to have to orchestrate. Like, the, the expectation this year was that they were, you know, going to be competitive in the Indiana State game, the Coastal Carolina game. Uh, I expected them to win both of those games coming into the year, but the closer we got to the start of the year, the more, you know, the more easily I was swayed by my fear that maybe those teams were a little stronger than I thought. Um, but everyone expected Boston College to be a fairly good ACC team this year. Now, the way the ACC is this year, they could be a fairly good ACC team, but the rest of the ACC, aside from Clemson, is just complete crap at this point. So, um, But the way that Kansas was able to go on the road and just completely dominate the second half of that game was extremely impressive. You know, they, they were very competitive against West Virginia. We're seeing a swagger and we're seeing an attitude around this team that they did not have any of the last, you know, eight or nine years. Um, and you can attribute most of that to Les Miles. You know, the guys are buying into what he's talking about. He's bringing that attitude. He's bringing his own swagger. He's bringing his insane brand of, you know, just weird confidence. And everyone's buying into it. You know, it's, it's already paying dividends on recruiting. You know, Kansas is right now one of the final two schools for the top running back in the next recruiting class. Um, the other team that they're competing with is Georgia. Uh, you know, so like if, if you had told me this time last year that Kansas would already be competing for recruits, like winning out on recruits over to schools like LSU or Alabama who were on this guy's list but are not any longer, um, I would have called you crazy. I wouldn't have thought that Les Miles would be able to make that much of a difference. There's a lot of excitement around this team. A lot of recruits are paying attention. The, the, the Mile to Go series is on ESPN+. Plus. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's really entertaining. If you're not watching it, even if you don't like Kansas or don't care about Kansas at all, it's a fascinating look at the behind-the-scenes of a football program to see what goes into that. And it's, it's, it's a lot like the franchise series that the Kansas City Chiefs have put together where there's a lot of access, and it's definitely like Kansas-tinted, but they don't shy away from the difficult topics. Um, I might be a little partial to the series because my podcast has been featured on there a couple times with some of the chatter going around it. But Hey, um, there you go. But yeah, it's definitely very entertaining. You get a really good look at behind the scenes, of, uh, you know, and, and you get to see Les Miles' personality and everything else that goes along with the program. Um, it's absolutely fascinating to watch. I highly recommend it, even if you don't care a little bit about Kansas football. We don't get to see behind the scenes of programs very often. Um, so it is a unique opportunity and I can't recommend it any more than I have. So with that being said, now the now the challenge is we got to get the Tom Green podcast on that on that documentary. And the way I could perhaps get that podcast on there is by the next thing I'm about to say, and that is a few years ago in my fantasy football league, I was one win away from making the playoffs. And you know the the motivational speech I had for myself as well as said fantasy team 
was the Les Miles. Um, uh, you wrap them around. You wrap them around you and kiss them on the mouth if you're a girl. Um, <laughs> rant, <laughs> and yeah, it almost worked. He has definitely had some very weird things that he said, and that has continued um, even while he's at Kansas. So I, I would expect that sometime in the next year or two, we're going to be able to add a couple different things that he says while he's at Kansas to that list of really strange quotes that you know are both. Inappropriate, but um, also absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and, to, and to say that you were worried about Indiana State and Coastal Carolina tells you how off Kansas was as a football program. Because here at Michigan, if we even have to think about Indiana State or Coastal Carolina, we have a problem. And oh, yeah. a lot of the national media now is saying that we have a problem, and it's understandable because of the expectations on this program. But just think, look at can't look at where Kansas was to now they are, and think, yeah, we're at least miles, and yes, bad pun, miles ahead of that program. With that being said, going to this Michigan Rutgers preview, I had said right at the start of the show, I don't bring a Rutgers guest in. It's because I want to spare them having to talk about their team more than they already have to, because. <laughs> Rutgers has fallen so much from the Ray Rice days that it's 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 sad. It's sad to see. So we'll actually open this this part of the show with Rutgers. Um, even though Michigan's had this scrutiny, do 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 Rutgers even stand a chance in this game? To be honest, I'm I'm not sure that they do. Um, you know, we actually played Rutgers, Kansas played them last year. Um, and absolutely destroyed them. And I had a Rutgers guy on my podcast at the time who was super confident in what they were going to be able to do, um, you know, and expecting that they were going to be able to come in and make it a game and, and potentially blow out Kansas because of just how bad Kansas was at the time. Uh, and they just got completely destroyed. Like, the Kansas defense tore them apart. And I can tell you that right now I think the Michigan defense is miles better Again, bad pun on my part, too, man. Um, <laughs> a lot better than the Kansas defense was last year. Um, you know, it, one, just because they have more, more talented athletes, they are more consistent. Yes, Michigan has had their problems, but just talent-wise, they are a lot better of a team than this Rutgers team is. And I don't know the Rutgers has really improved from last year. They were a very bad team last year. Um, you know, I think they've... I think they had one really good game earlier this year that made a lot of people think that maybe they were getting things turned around. But I just don't see it. This Rutgers team, they've been bad for a long time. They haven't really done much to improve. Um, you know, I, I, I admit I haven't been following them very much, but last year there were rumblings about them firing their coach. I don't think they actually did it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... You know, yeah, they, they did not fire Chris Ash, and I sort of feel bad for Chris Ash because he, he, was an, he was an Ohio State guy that came into Rutgers, and it's like, hey, we might bring some attitude and some swagger like Miles has to Kansas, to a Rutgers team that badly needs it. And they brought a former head, Big Ten head coach, Jerry Kill, to assist their offense. Well, Jerry Kill um, unfortunately left this squad, and in a way I don't blame him because this team, this team is probably as bad as Kansas was under David Beatty. And you saw with your own two eyes how bad Kansas was with David Beatty. It's... You call yourself the birthplace of college football. It right now looks like where high school football dreams go to die is where 
is is how is how this squad should be named, and that's another Les Miles pun if you think about it. Well, and, and if you think about it, you know, just like any other time, you know, eventually, if you give birth to something, it gets up and moves on, and if you're not careful, it'll leave you behind, and that's what happens at Rutgers. Uh, you know, they they have not really kind of kept up with the times, and I I mean, you know, I'm just I don't understand why they're having so many problems. You know, they, they used to have a, a fairly good team. They used to be a really good program. Um, and, you know, I honestly don't follow them closely enough to know what happened, but they have been just as much of, if not more of a laughing stock than Kansas has. And that's saying something because, you know, Kansas has been one of the most futile programs of all time in the last decade. Um, and they've been, you know, and, and Kansas beat Rutgers in that time and I think passed the mantle on to Rutgers, especially with what's happening for them this year. So, yeah, I don't give Rutgers much of a chance. What I find the most interesting about this game is, is you know, it, I'm assuming that Michigan's going to bounce back and get a big win here, but are people going to, you know, what I'm, what I'm wondering is if they get a big win here, are people going to see that as a positive sign for Michigan or are they going to say, oh, well, it is, it, it's just Rutgers, so who really cares? That's and yeah, we're go, go ahead. We're transitioning into the next point, which is Michigan, how they bounce back, and it's and I could see it. And um, I had said it before on this podcast, but Anthony Bolino retweeted a great point. And Bolino is um, he does uh, FS Morning Blitz and Toledo. He also does Lions video pregame stuff. So great guy. Met him a few couple of times. Um, Anthony retweeted a point right after the Chick-fil-A Bowl, and, it, and the point was, had they beaten Florida, it would not erase what have ha- had happened against Ohio State. If they lose to Florida, it's more it just adds fuel to the fire. And, it's, and, that, and I felt the, the exact same way. It's like when it comes to bowl games, and sadly, Bo Schembeck or Michigan was the same way, it felt like who want, who wants it's more of a who-wants-to-be-here contest rather than an actual bowl game. And sadly, Michigan didn't want to be there against Florida because they had they had just gotten beaten to the woodshed by Ohio State. And I could see this happening in this game too. Michigan could perhaps beat Rutgers out of the woodshed, and let's hope to God that happens. But the media narrative will still be, well, he didn't beat Wisconsin. He still hasn't won the big game. And it's like, I get it. He still hasn't beaten a top 10 team. He's beaten a top 10 team once, excuse me. He still hasn't beaten Ohio State. He split against Michigan State. But still, we're winning the games that we need to win. And that didn't happen under Brady Hoke. Well, I guess what I'm wondering there, and, and forgive me a minute for kind of taking over here and asking the questions myself, but, uh, sure. you know, I mean, I, I, I'm curious because what I always hear about Jim Harbaugh and the kind of the criticism is, yeah, he's beaten the brains out of these, you know, much lesser teams. But when he gets to a game that he's supposed to, you know, be competitive in against another program that's supposed to be at the same level, or even just a little bit below where Michigan's supposed to be, he hasn't played very. You know, he, his teams haven't played very well. You know, he has that again. He has a pretty bad record against Ohio State, which is usually probably the game that Michigan fans, you know, really care about the entire yes. year. Um, and this game, you know, they were underdogs against Wisconsin. He has yet to win a game as an underdog while he's at Michigan. Part of that's just because, you know, he's not going to be an underdog unless it's against a really good team. Um, so I can kind of understand that a little bit. But you would have to think, especially coming into this game against Wisconsin, I don't think most people thought that Wisconsin was, you know, that far ahead of Michigan where they are in the season. 
um, I was shocked just by how well Wisconsin just completely, you know, overpowered everything Michigan was trying to do. And I guess really, you know, at this point, it's going to take a while, I think, for people to really be willing to look past that. And I think it's deserved at this point because, you know, when you get dismantled that well or that thoroughly by a Wisconsin team, like, you know, playing against Rutgers, no matter, unless you win this game by 100 points, like, I don't think beating Rutgers by even 50 points really says anything about Michigan because you're supposed to beat Rutgers by at least 30 or 40. And I and as kind of an aside, I had seen a Rutgers beat writer predict a Rutgers victory over Michigan three or now three years ago in the same game that Michigan won 78 to nothing. <laughs> so oh, yes, uh, that's a that's a very that's a very fair point. And yeah, um, when it cut the. The point I was going to make was that they seem to lack aggression in the big games, and this has been a problem ever since Lloyd Carr. That's what got Lloyd Carr, that's what made Lloyd Carr retire pretty much, was that they seemed to lack aggression in the big games, and they started to show that under Brady Hoke somewhat, but they regressed in all, all other facets. Now we seem to be back to the back to where we're winning the we're winning the games we should, but we but we we're lacking aggression in the big games, and you were going to make a point. Continue. <laughs> oh no, I didn't really have another. I was asking oh, yeah. about the whole predicting records to win straight up. I had missed the fact you were talking about this was three years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, if if anyone honestly thinks that Rutgers has a chance in this game, they are buying way too much into the narrative that you know that Harbaugh is falling apart with this team, and that there's all kinds of problems with the Michigan. I. I fully expect Michigan to bounce back. I fully expect them to then try to use that as positive momentum to go into the, the next game um, against Iowa. You know, so I'll be interested to see how Michigan finishes the season out. You know, fun fact that a lot of people don't actually know is when I was growing up, my oldest brother was actually a Michigan football fan. So I kind of followed them for a while um, until I decided to go off to school at Kansas. Uh, so, I mean, I, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Michigan in terms of like they're the team in the Big Ten that I tend to root for the most. Um, so I'll be interested to see how they do the rest of the year, but I, I don't know that it looks necessarily that great, you know, with all of the, the tough games that they have on their schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped another three or four games this year. Uh, I looked at the schedule again, and I thought, oh, man, I could possibly see eight and four here. So let's hope to God I'm wrong. So um, score prediction, I'm going to go Michigan 52 to 10. Um, Rutgers is... Rutgers is terrible, but Michigan's offense needs needs some work. Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan's probably going to get a couple defensive scores. Um, you know, I would not be surprised to see them race out to something like a 48 nothing lead and then kind of take their foot off the gas at that point. Um, and then Rutgers come back to scores, you know, 17 points in the fourth quarter to try to make it at least somewhat respectable when all backups are in. But I can also see Jim Harbaugh just being completely pissed off and they just keep the gas on the entire time, and they could win, you know, seventy-five to nothing. Like, uh, I would not be surprised by any score here. If I'm, if you're going to nail me down to a score, I'm probably going to go somewhere in the range of about fifty-five to seven. Okay, so similar scores: fifty-two to ten, fifty-five seven on Michigan Rutgers. So now for the real reason why we brought you in, and is that we bring. We bring you in once every four years for this. <laughs> we haven't even had this podcast on for four years, but Lions in Kansas City. The last time the Lions played Kansas City, Andy was a very, very happy man because 
It was just about 11 a.m., actually noon, excuse me, in Kansas City. Kansas City just finished off a beatdown of the Lions in London, to which Detroit probably never wanted to go back to London. <laughs> yes, actually, that was the only London game that I actually ever enjoyed watching. I, I'm not a big fan of the international, and I, I know that there's a lot of football fans. I've actually spoken with a few football fans who live over in London, and, of course, they love to go and actually get to see some of the games live and in person. Um, but for the viewer here, like I realize it's usually not that big of a deal, um, you know, because it's just like any other televised game. But having it so early in the morning and kind of having it throw everything off, half the time I forget the game's even on, and so I miss it. I'm, I mean, I understand wanting to grow the game and having it over there, and I realize it's a really good, uh, you know, a really good thing for them to have. But uh, I personally am not a fan of the London games. Um, but this was one that I really enjoyed watching. <laughs> As for me, um, I always make it an appointment to watch the London games because I like seeing games at different stadiums, if that makes sense. Like, I was disappointed to see that the Winnipeg game for the Packers didn't turn out that well. I just like seeing national TV coverage at all the different stadiums. And so, yeah, while the games have been crap, um, it's been fun to see games at Wembley and Twickenham. But that game especially wasn't fun for me. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, um, I well, I tried to get your homie on the show, but um, unfortunately, uh, Kermit, Kermit the Frog had to had to speak for me. But uh, your your homie is a beast, Patrick Mahomes. Is, is he is he an actual beast? I guess I'll ask. No, I mean <laughs> not not literally. But, you know, I mean, it's it's clear at this point that he is going to be, barring injury, of course, knock on wood, um, he is going to be the front runner for the MVP for at least the next three to four seasons straight. Um, he is just absolutely phenomenal. You know, it's it, he honestly amazes me every single time I watch him because he does something brand new. You know, he got injured in the first game that they had this year, um, you know, got kind of landed on awkwardly sprained his ankle a little bit went off the field everybody was really really concerned against the jag the jaguars got his ankle taped up went back out and instead of rolling out and you know making the throws on the run that he likes to do all the time he turned into a pure pocket passer and just stayed in the in the pocket moved up a little bit where he needed to you know to avoid pressure but just started picking apart what was supposed to be a very good jacksonville jaguars secondary just over and over and over again. Um, you know, he has incredible field vision from this last game against the Ravens. You know, the, everyone saw the the huge touchdown to McCole Hartman, the 83-yard touchdown. What what came out today in his availability was that throw originally was supposed to go about 25 yards. Well, it, it probably would have ended up for like a 25-yard gain because it was originally supposed to go to Sammy Watkins, uh, who was over on the sideline. And while he was in his throwing motion, he spotted McCole Hartman running down the middle of the field out of the corner of his eye, adjusted his throw and hit McCall Hartman in stride on the way to the end zone. I mean, just the fact that he's able to make those adjustments on the fly like that is absolutely ridiculous. His field vision is insane. You know, the, the arm or the arm strength that he has, the ability to make off platform throws is absolutely ridiculous. I feel so, so wonderfully lucky to be able to call him my quarterback um, you know, it's just absolutely insane, especially being a Chiefs fan, you know, not having drafted a good quarterback as a Chiefs organization 
in forever. It's just absolutely surreal that we get to have Mahomes for who knows how much longer. Yeah, and Mahomes, oh, that I, that that kid, that kid's going places, and one of those places I think is is going to be Canton if he keeps this up, barring injury. And I'll tell you right. that um, one of the yeah, the only thing yeah, that would stop him from going to Canton at this point is if he got injured early in his career, because you know he has shown the ability to play so many different styles already that even if something happens and you know he has to adjust. You know, even if he were to go to a different system or something, he would be successful in that system, and he's putting up such gaudy numbers right now that, you know, even if he were to take a step back in the next five or six years of his career, that's still going to be Pro Bowl numbers. Exactly. And I, my next point was going to be, um, in, in our lives, we all have these moments that we call um, sports, uh, historical, uh, maybe not historical, but great sports moments that happened when you were either under the weather or out, or not feeling good, or something, or something like that. I'm sure you know what I'm saying. One of those moments was um, I had my hernia surgery October 1st of last year. What what happened on October 1st of last year? Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football was Chiefs Broncos, and now you know where I'm where I'm going with this. I had I had woken up from a from an anesthetic nap. Because I was wearing, trying to wear off the anesthesia from the surgery. Everything went well, as you can see. I woke up, and about two minutes later, the left-handed pass happened. <laughs> and, and I'm guessing for the next few days, you're wondering if that was a hallucination from the anesthesia, right? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to have the reaction. Like, I was sitting there watching it with my family, and, and the, the, the unfortunate thing about my family is that we're half Chiefs fans, half uh, Cowboys fans. My wife is a huge Cowboys fan. It's not and, a logo, it's a rating. <laughs> but so we were, um, you know, we were sitting there and watching it, and everybody in the room just went ballistic when that particular play happened. Like, it was the most amazing thing that any of us had ever seen, the fact that he was able to switch it that quickly and get an accurate throw, even though it was only like five yards down the field, the fact he was able to throw it that accurately on the sideline, on a rope where the guy could get it and no one else could, it was just absolutely phenomenal. You know, and then he follows it up not too long after that with starts doing public passes. And I mean, I, half the time everyone's wondering what is the next thing that he's going to break out that no one's ever seen before. And that's what I'm thinking too. And <laughs> I was hoping that last year he would get to the 57 touchdowns so that Heinz would sponsor him forever since he loves ketchup. But unfortunately, yeah, the off-brand Hunts decided to sponsor him first. <laughs> uh, that kind of makes sense, though, given who the uh, you know the the owner of the Chiefs is. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no actual affiliation with the company, from what I understand, but it does have a nice tie in there. So there you go. So with that being said, we talked about Mahomes. Oh, another, another quickly, another two things that happened um, while I was in a, you know, in a state in a not in a non-normal state. Um, the the Tony Stewart um, event happened where the um, where he ran he ran over the guy, but the guy was high. Um, that oh, yeah. happened. That happened. I had woken up at like two in the morning and checked my phone and saw that. And I'm like, "Whoa, what just happened here?" And the other thing was, I I had just gotten an EGD because I have reflux, and after I wore off an anesthetic nap, I saw Dallas Keuchel put himself on the baseball map by dominating Detroit for the Astros. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of 
random and interesting memories <laughs> dealing with, with anesthetic naps. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> very, I live a very interesting life, I have so you've seen over the internet. <laughs> now to the Lions. Surprising start, 2-0, or 2-0-1, and it could have easily been 2-1, could have easily been 3-0. Let's just say, if we finish undefeated, we'll be the number one spot, and it doesn't matter how many ties we have. In fact, the running joke, at least for me, was after that tie, they like the number 16, but they like to put zeros in front of it. Oh, oh, and 16. <laughs> So from a Chiefs perspective, I guess, from from your perspective, tell us about our Detroit Lions. So I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know a ton about the Lions um, okay. other than, you know, kind of what I've seen from Matt Stafford in the last few years. My understanding is that he, you know, he's playing a lot better this year than he was at the end of last year, which I think is kind of the big surprising thing for the Lions and why they're off to such a surprising start. Um, you know, the, it doesn't seem like there's anything – from at least from from my perspective, not being close to the team, uh, it doesn't really seem like there's anything special that they're doing with their defense, and and I worry for the defense just because I worry for every defense that has to go up against the Chiefs. Um, you know, I'm so really the the key to this game is going to be if the Lions can put up points and if they can put them up quickly. Um, you know, and that is going to rely on the arm of Matt Stafford. You know, and that, that's really what we've we've come to see that most of these games are is that Kansas City scores so quickly. That if the other team can't keep up, um, it gets really quick to the end. Of, you know, starting in the second half, end, end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, the Chiefs can just coast um, and let their defense try to win them the game because you know they're just they're already up by three or four touchdowns. So that's really what the key is going to be: is Matt Stafford going to be able to score quickly enough? Uh, from what I understand, from what I've seen, like after watching that Arizona game with the huge stretches that they went cold, I would worry about that. But they've come off and and had a hard-fought win um, against the Chargers, who I think aren't as good as a lot of people were expecting them to be, um, but they've been ravaged by injuries, so that's probably mm-hmm. part of it. Um, but the, the big thing that really just jumps out to me is that I just don't think that Detroit has enough firepower on the offense to be able to keep up. They've had large stretches of games where they just have not played very well and have not been able to move the ball consistently. Um, you know, do, do you know what they plan to do to kind of combat that? I mean, the running game doesn't seem to be anything necessarily special, but that might be the place to at least try to establish some rhythm against the Chiefs. Yeah, and that's the thing is that the running game hasn't been strong in these first three games under it, which is surprising because their new offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, prides himself on the run, as we've seen in Seattle. But with that being said, the offensive line hasn't really done their job in the past couple in the past couple of games, leading to a couple of interceptions from Stafford against the Chargers, as well as not a very good running game from Kerryon Johnson. But this could be a game where Johnson bounces back, and it's because with the Chiefs, when you have an offense that can put up a zillion points, you have a defense that is susceptible of giving up a zillion points, which hasn't happened yet. But I think that's that's the way the Chiefs lose. And well, who knows? I mean... This game is the first time Mahomes was played in the Dome, so everybody's thinking video game statistics. So now we um, we, we kind of focus on our perspective to uh, keys to a Chiefs victory. How do the Chiefs defeat the Detroit Lions? So, I mean, it, it comes down to a couple of different things. Obviously, the offense has to keep going. Um, and, you know, the, the real issue here, 
I think for anyone going up against the Chiefs offense is that there are so many different weapons that it's going to be hard to know who that who they need to shut down. You know, in the first game, when Tyreek Hill got injured really shortly into that first game, they turned to Sammy Watkins and he had the game of his career. Um, you know, the next week, they the Raiders were very, very adamant about shutting him down completely and Marcus Robinson went off. You know, and so the Chiefs have several receivers who can take over a game at any moment. And Patrick Mahomes has been, you know, adept enough at finding the right guy in the right formations and really picking apart any defense. Um, but, I mean, I think that it's going to come down to that has to continue, obviously. Injuries, obviously, they have to have the good injury luck. If if if, if Mahomes gets injured, um, you know, then they might have some problems. Of course, the, the main issue with that even is that, you know, Kansas, Kansas City is down their best wide receiver in Tyreek Hill. They're down their starting left tackle in Eric Fisher. You know, they're down their starting running back in Damian Williams. And they haven't missed a beat. Like, the offense is absolutely ridiculous. So, like you said, the way to beat the Chiefs is to get to their defense. And even then, I, I don't know if that's going to be enough. Um, but what they have to do is they have to score. There is no way that, can, that Kansas City is going to lose a game, you know, where they scored less than 30 points this entire year. Like, I think it's going to be impossible to keep the Chiefs to under 30 points um, unless they just stop playing. You know, like, like like they did against Oakland. They got up against Oakland 28-10. to 10. The defense buckled down. The offense didn't need to score, and so they didn't score in the second half. But, like, the only way you're going to keep this Kansas City Chiefs offense to below 30 points is if they decide that they don't need any more points and they just stop scoring. Um, so, really, the key to the Chiefs win is let the offense do its thing, and the defense has to at least get a few stops to put pressure on, on, on the Lions. If the defense can get some early stops, force the Lions from behind, get desperate, then it's, I think it's going to be a fairly easy Kansas City win. If the Lions are matching them drive for drive early in the game, that puts a lot of pressure on the Kansas City defense. They're likely to make mistakes, give up big plays. And it's going to be a very competitive game down the stretch. And then you just need one hiccup or two from Mahomes um, or from the running game going down the stretch, and Detroit could find themselves in it. You know, if if the Chiefs get desperate, if it's a really close game at the half and they've been and they've been struggling – I could see the Lions getting that confidence, you know, and I could see them kind of being able to lean on the defense that they do have uh, to make a big play or two and swing the, the, you know, swing the game in their favor. I just don't know that they're going to be able to get it going against the Chiefs defense. Gotcha. So he pretty much gave us the keys how, how both teams win this game. So how, how I answer how the Chiefs win this game. Um, Mahomes, um, Let's let's see if I can do this voice correctly. Hi, I'm your quarterback. I left Miss Piggy at home. I'm going to shred your defense. If uh, if Patrick Mahomes comes out and not Kermit the Frog, um, the Chiefs will be fine. Running game, I uh, don't really have to worry about that. Um, utilize Demarcus Robinson because one because he's on my Super League fantasy team, and two because. Darius Slay is going to be on Sammy Watkins. So that could be a very interesting matchup for Kansas City. And defense makes stops. Um, 20 to 20, it's just at this point, Kansas City defense, it's just gonna happen. 20 to 20, oh well. Be like Vic Fangio, stop the red zone. If you can do that, you're gonna beat Detroit. As for the Lions keys to this victory, um, 28 is the magic number. 
you're kind of going to have to hold them to 28 because you're you're not it, Patrick Mahomes is a freak of nature. You're just going to have you're you're just going to have to deal with that. Just kind of like kind of like how I said Kansas City's defense. Um get the running game going. Mark Ingram who has been okay this year, I guess, and I say that kind of loosely, scored three times against his Chiefs defense. If Mark Ingram can do it, Kerryon Johnson can do it. So utilize the running game. Defense, or um, 28 is a magic number on defense, and uh, get at least two 100-yard receivers. If you can get two 100-yard receivers in this game, chances are you're going to score two or three times each, and that could be your recipe beating the Chiefs. So with that being said, uh, score predictions. How does how does this Lions-Chiefs game go? Yeah, I'm having a really hard time seeing this, you know, being one, low scoring at all. So it's going to be a shootout um, or it's going to be a huge blowout for the Chiefs. I do think that the Chiefs get up really early. Um, I think then they, they go into essentially prevent mode again, like they have done in pretty much every game this season, or this, this season so far. Um, and so I do think that the Lions will kind of claw back some points towards the end. I don't think that they're as talented offensively as the Ravens were. Um, and so ultimately I do think that Kansas City wins this game probably somewhere in the range of 38 to probably 21. All right. And as for my pick, this is, and we've seen it before on, the, on these football shows, this is a prove-me-wrong game. And... Proving me wrong doesn't necessarily mean beating the Chiefs. It means keeping it within within the spread, and the spread right now and and I didn't really look at it. It's six to the Chiefs if I if I'm not mistaken. If they can keep this within six, that's that's pretty damn good if you ask me. Because really impressive if they can yeah, do that. Because the Chiefs, uh, the chief the Chiefs are going to compete this year with New England. And Clay, if you think about it, the Chiefs did everything they needed to to have the situation that they wanted against New England overtime except of course the overtime rule and all and and all that such but besides the point they had the number one seed the AFC championship game was at Arrowhead Stadium they had chances to win that game yeah go ahead and say that oh um they, we lost the coin toss so we lost the game well yeah, in a way, I kind of think overtime should be changed too, but it's not because of the Kansas City Chiefs. But besides the point, Kansas City is going to compete. And if Detroit wants to prove that they're going to compete in the NFC, this is their chance to do it. Give me the Chiefs closer than people think, 42-34. So no, they do not cover, but they score points. Which I think is entirely reasonable. Um, one, like I said, because Kansas City has been known this year to kind of take their foot off the gas. I do think that uh, the the Lions have more talent than a team like the Raiders, um, you know, and so I expect them to score more. And really, I think what it comes down to is that once once they build that lead, they're not going to be nearly as focused on scoring until they need to again, um, you know. And so, yeah, that'll give them an opportunity to get out a lot closer. That I think most people are actually prepared for. The the one other key that I hadn't really talked about, sure. you know, Kansas City is well known on scoring on huge long plays. And so what I think the Lions need to do if they want to have any hope of either keeping the game close or even potentially winning is they need to find ways to stop the long scoring plays. You know, Kansas City um, 
of their touchdowns, uh, I believe they have. I, I went back and tried to count them up before we got on here, and I didn't. I don't think I've got all of them, but I believe it's something like seven out of their ten long touchdowns, or I'm sorry, it's like seven out of out of ten touchdowns have been on long passes, which is absolutely. And by long, I'm saying more than twenty yards away. So like outside mm-hmm. the red zone and scoring on them. So you know they've been extremely proficient at getting the long touchdown passes from Patrick Mahomes to his to his receivers. Uh, the Lions have to be able to stop that, whether it's jamming guys on the line so that they can't get free um, and then getting pressure on Mahomes so he can't get them throwing that wide open. Uh, but they've, they've got to find ways to stop those big, huge scoring plays. I'll be interested to see how Mahomes does in the Dome, um, you know, because it is going to be a new experience for him. Uh, that could either help him or it could hurt him because he doesn't have that experience playing in the Dome. I imagine it's going to probably be fairly similar to Denver in terms of the uh, environment, um, just because the ball seems to travel a little bit better in the dome, doesn't have to deal necessarily with yeah. the wind. But um, so, so we'll see how how it goes. I'll definitely be interested to see though how many of the touchdowns that are scored are on long passing plays. Gotcha, definitely good point. And so we now go to the segment that everybody loves on the Tom Green podcast, and that is the rapid fire pick. So they're not necessarily rapid fire. We'll do a little bit of. Um, uh, analysis on them, but we got seven games this week, uh, and the winner of the Rapid Fire Contest gets a prize from yours truly, a certificate, and perhaps a gift card or a case of beer, whichever you choose. With that being said, five college games and two NFL games this week, starting on Friday night, um, after your high school game, get to watch some Pac-12 after dark, and this week it's ASU-Cal. Yeah, I'm going ASU here. Um, I realize that a lot of people are higher on Cal than they probably should be. They benefited greatly from that call against Mississippi State. Um, and so I just, I've been a little bit more impressed with what ASU has been doing. I don't think that either of these teams are particularly that great. People are grasping at straws, I think, trying to get some Pac-12 teams um, in, into the top 25 poll. But uh, if I'm going to pick a team, I'm going to go with Herm Edwards and Arizona State. Good. Good pick. Uh, I like ASU as well, 27-20. to 20. Um, As far as your old coach has said it, even though he wasn't on your team, hello, you play to win the game. <clears throat> yep, definitely. <laughs> and, yes, I was, like last year, I was the only person in the state of Michigan that predicted correctly ASU to beat state. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I just knew Herman Edwards, that's all. Uh, Virginia and Notre Dame. So I actually live very close to Virginia, and I have not been impressed. I get to see a lot more of their games than I really want to. I have not been impressed by them at all. Uh, I'm going to pick Notre Dame to win this one big. I think it's going to be closer than people think because Notre Dame is is just that team that always gets... Um, I <laughs> Let's compare this to your high school, to a high school prom. It's it's the guy that gets the really hot girl, but the hot girl really isn't all that impressive, if you know what I mean. That's okay. kind of what Notre Dame is to me. Notre Dame, but close, 20 or 24-17. I mean, that would kind of make sense because Notre Dame is kind of in the ACC, uh, which means that they're, you know, the, the trash that is the ACC for the most part <laughs> kind of rub off on them a little bit. So I guess I could understand that. So, U.S., another Pac-12 game, USC-Washington. Yeah, what's up with all this Pac-12 games? I mean, <laughs> but they, no. Yeah. Um, so, so USC 
you know, I, I feel like a lot of people are trying to give them a lot more credit uh, than they really should be getting. You know, they lost to a BYU team that people are only saying is not terrible because they beat USC, which I hate that circular logic when it comes to analyzing teams where, you know, you, you, you say a team didn't have a bad loss because they, you know, they beat you. Um, and so I don't think USC is nearly as good as a lot of people seem to think that they are. Um, I do think that Washington wins this one, benefits from the fact that they are at home. Uh, so I will pick Washington. That's another good pick, and that's the thing about these these rapid-fire games is that when you have close lines, they're either really good games or crap games, <laughs> as far as yeah, I've Washington's seen. Washington's a ten-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Honestly, I think I'd be surprised if if it's even that close. I could see Washington winning this mm-hmm. one by three touchdowns. Yeah, this, this one must have come out ranked versus ranked, why I put it in there. Give me yep. Washington in Seattle. Um, maybe Beast Mode makes an. Maybe Beast Mode comes out of retirement to score a touchdown just so so he can spite Reggie Bush. Um, and yes, <laughs> Reggie Bush will always be associated with USC, no matter what the NCAA thinks. Washington thirty-one, USC seventeen. And here's a Big Twelve one for you: Kansas State, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I'm I'm perturbed like most other people that this one's on ESPN Plus. Um, you know, absolutely horrible planning on the part of the Big 12 to put this one on there. And the worst part is I think that they determined that just a couple weeks ago. Um, this is going to be a very, very good game. Kansas State is a lot better than anyone expected them to be. Oklahoma State's reeling a little bit after dropping a game that, honestly, they should have won against Texas. Um, you know, Texas being as depleted as they are and Gundy having some very questionable decisions, uh, again, or in terms of the play calling, uh, you know, when to go for a fake field goal and when not to. Um, I do think that Kansas State is much better than people think that they're going to be, but I also just think that, um, you know, Oklahoma State coming home and having, you know, this at home and kind of dealing with that disappointment, I, I expect them to go ahead and win this game. I probably would go ahead and pick them to cover this game as well. Uh, they, they are four-and-a-half-point favorites. I think they probably win this one by about ten points. So Oklahoma State. Um Mike Gundy said it best 12 years ago, and I'll reset. it. I'm a man. I'm 52. <laughs> That's what he's going to be saying to Oklahoma State on the sidelines in honor of the guy that named the stadium T. Boone Pickens. Uh, give me Oklahoma State in the, and this is the first time I've ever mentioned this joke to you on the show. This is a running joke about Big 12 football. The big what is defense 12, uh, 52 <laughs> to 47, Oklahoma State. Closer than people think. But Oklahoma State wins. Yeah, actually, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring, to be honest. Um, I'm not even sure what the over-under is on this one, but I, I would probably be very tempted to take the under. Both of these teams are very, very good defensively um, and have shown that so far this year. Uh, the offensive both the offenses both have some issues. Kansas State um, struggled, you know, in the in the in the game they had against Mississippi State at times, and ultimately they ended up pulling it out. But they had to have a special teams touchdown, um, you know, and so. So I actually expect this one, you know, I think that old joke of yours is going to go away soon here because there are a lot of fairly good defenses in the Big 12 this year. Now, there's a lot of really good offenses as well, um, you know, so so it could kind of go back and forth a little bit. But I think this is two of the of the top half defenses in the Big 12 um, going against some, you know, probably middle of the pack to lower half offenses um, when it's all said and done. Speaking of middle of the pack... Washington State, Utah, in the middle of a middle of a pack twelve. Man, what are you 
doing to me? Why are we thinking so much Pac-12? <laughs> Everyone knows the Pac-12 games don't matter, right? <laughs> yes, but that's like I had said. Part of the close line thing is you either get good games or crap ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so this particular game, I actually am I'm a lot higher on Utah than I think most people are. Um, you know, they are ranked. They've been ranked all year long, and I think a lot of people are actually expecting them to be pretty good. But, uh, you know, they, they had that weird loss against USC last week, which, I, again, is another reason I think that people are giving USC a lot more credit than they need. Oh, yeah, I predicted that on the show last week, by the way. Really? Nice. Yes. <laughs> so, but, yeah, no, I, I don't think Washington State's anything special here. Um, Utah's going to be at home. They're coming off that loss to USC. I think that they're going to come out very angry. Pac-12 after dark is not going to, you know, be insane here and throw us a big curveball. I expect Utah to win this one big. I'm going to say something. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you a score, something like uh, 48 to 21. In these rapid-fire games, I've known that I will never bet against Mike Leach, and I will do the same thing here, despite it being at the Muss. Uh, this is where I'll probably go the one contrarian out of the whole bunch, and um, Mike Leach, you, you just can't go against him. Gardner Minshew, we've seen the Gardner Minshew show. It's Minshew season, uh, even though he's not there anymore. Give me Washington State by one point, just because. <laughs> <laughs> If you've ever, if you watch the Mike Leach uh, Pac-12 uh, mascots battle, that was hilarious. Oh, that, that was awesome. <laughs> I, I used that for one of my off-the-wall questions. I, on my own podcast, I like to find off-the-wall questions that usually tie into some weird story. And this week, it was about the uh, the question that someone asked Mike Gundy, the like made-up satirical piece about someone uh, or about. Moon Pickens leaving a gift card in his will for Gundy to go get a haircut um, that he just went off on. Um, you know, so that was the one this week in the, in the episode coming up this this weekend or this this Friday uh, for for previewing the TCU game. But last week I was asking about what he had said, what what Mike Leach had said. Um, you know, the whole battle royale of Pac-12 mascots and turn that to Big 12 mascots. So I like to tie those some sorts of things in. I have a feeling I'll be talking about stuff that Mike Leach says quite a bit in the future <laughs> definitely so two games left they're both nfl soldier field nfc north battle minnesota chicago i had a really tough time with this one because i don't think that chicago's defense is anywhere near as good as they have been in the past um you know they and yeah chicago just demolished the redskins but it's also the redskins we're talking about um so like i don't think that really tells us much kind of like you know, half the time in, in college football, you don't really learn very much when they play the really, really bad teams. Um, you know, but then again, Michigan, or I'm sorry, Minnesota has had their own issues this year. Um, I, I do think that Chicago probably pulls this one out late, especially since they're at home. Um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I'm just going to have to go with Chicago on that one. I think it's going to be a really close game throughout the entire game. Um, but I think it'll be pretty low scoring because the Chicago defense is going to exert their will over a questionable Minnesota offense. And I just get this feeling that, that Minnesota is going to scrap in this one, and Chicago's not going to see nearly as much success on offense that they did against the Redskins. Gotcha. I I think Chicago's defense is spectacular, but their offense is all but <laughs> that same word. Um, 
Un- unlike Lions fans, I tend to like Chicago more than Lions fans do, and I, it actually kind of bothers me that Lions fans hate Chicago as much as they do. It's, and it's because of their worth e- work ethic. Look at what the Ditka, the Ditka teams did over over the years. Yes, it bugged Detroit, but I like I like Mike, and I like Chicago because of Mike. Um, give me Dot Bears in this one. Um, side note: the Peyton Manning, uh, Peyton's Paradise part about um, him being baptized into a, being a Bears fan was hilarious. Um, give me Chicago seventeen to ten. Yeah, I think score-wise, if I had to pick something, I would probably say uh, Chicago in a really close one, something like 14-13. And just to make Lions fans proud, as I am one too, Packers suck! (laughs) (laughs) Best line of that Peyton Manning thing. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Last one, Dallas and New Orleans, Sunday Night Football. So, so I mentioned that my wife and two of my sons are uh, Dallas Cowboys fans. And I also I, mentioned that it's not a logo, it's a rating, but continue. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, I was very surprised with what Teddy Bridgewater was able to do for New Orleans last week. Um, I, I don't know, though, how much of that was them taking Seattle by surprise. Um, I don't think the Seattle defense is anywhere near as good as they have been in the past. Um, I think we're going to find that throughout the year that they just really aren't that good of a defense and that they're going to have to be carried by Russell Wilson. That So, you know, I think that the Dallas defense is better. I don't think New Orleans going to have nearly as much success, but they do have a lot of good playmakers, especially in Kamara, uh, that they'll be able to lean on. I think it's going to be a battle of the running backs. Uh, you know, it'll be Kamara versus Elliott. Um, I do think that both of them are going to find a lot of success. I don't think this will be as high scoring as we're used to from New Orleans games. Uh, but ultimately, I do think that Dallas is actually going to go ahead and pull this one out. I just I trust their quarterback more. I trust the weapon that they have more. And honestly, I trust that Dallas defense, I think, more than I do the New Orleans defense. Uh, and so I think Dallas wins this one. It's going to be a close one because it is down in New Orleans. But I do think that Dallas is going to win this one. Give me something like uh, I'll go 34-28. Uh, if it's at the Superdome and it's at night, I never pick against the Saints. I thought I was only going to go contrarian once. I'll go contrarian twice. I picked the Saints in this one despite no breeze. Bridgewater looked pretty good last week, uh, 31 to 20. And, of course, I'll also quote another meme. Uh, it's it's one of Dak hugging Zeke, and it says, Oh, we got to face a real team this week. Oh. <laughs> yep, Dallas. You gotta face a real team this week, so good luck. <laughs> oh, One boy. star, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I'll get a lot of hate from Cowboys fans on it. And you know what I say? I don't care. Rational fans fun. talking. Rational fans talking football. Oh geez, here come the Cowboys fans. We're the boys, feet, Zeke, Super Bowl, here we come. Dak is the second coming of Aikman. Ah! Oh. <laughs> oh, boy, I'm glad that my kids can't hear this right now because they would not be very happy. But that's all right. I'm sure they'll hear it later. Neither would your wife, and I might be banned from the Mitz family house, but guess what? Andy would still let me in regardless. <laughs> so with that being said, my last question is, do you have anything else to add to this wonderful Tom Green podcast? I don't think so. Thanks thanks for having me on. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's somehow we always manage to uh, shoehorn in some uh, Kansas conversation and make it relevant. Um, you know, but... 
Uh, I do love talking about sports in general, so I, I really appreciate you, appreciate you reaching out so we can talk some, some Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I don't get to do that often, and it was a lot of fun. Yes, definitely, and I'll, and I'll end this on uh, thank you for reaching out last year uh, about Kansas Conversation, because if, if that wouldn't have happened, who knows if we'd have had these podcasts, because I, 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 in a way, my, my Tom Green Pod Twitter is like, that, is like that public restaurant. Come in, we're open. You were the first one to see that sign and come in, we're open. And look what happened so far. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I think this is the fourth time that I've been on your podcast. Yeah, uh, I can't say that I've regretted any of them. They're all, they've all been a lot of fun. Um, you know, and I think it's kind of introduced each other to a bunch of audiences that I don't think would have normally thought about listening to either of our podcasts from the other side. So, um, you know, it's, 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 I'll give a little shout out to, sure. I don't even remember which one it was. I think it was the Connecting Sports Writers uh, Twitter account where we, we actually met up um, and kind of got connected for the first time. Um, you know, just looking out for other people to kind of talk to and try to find other conversations, and it, it, it worked out really well. Yes, at Connecting Sports SW, I believe their Twitter handle is. Yes, I had found them as well, and it's it's really helped. So always network. As as you've seen, I've networked with a ton of people in, in, <laughs> in my short life, and I hope that thread just continues to grow. So with that being said, he is Andy Mitz from the Rock Chalk Podcast, and this has been the Tom Green Podcast.